Mark chapter 1, we'll be looking tonight at verses 9 through 15. I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. God and Father, once again we come to the scripture desiring to hear the voice of God. Father, it's not the voice of man we come to hear. It's not good advice we come to hear. It's not tips for life we come to hear. We come to hear from God. We come that you might speak into our very souls and give us life. God, please, see fit tonight to use your servant. Speak through your servant, God, with clarity and power that your people might be changed. Do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated. My favorite movie of all time is The Lord of the Rings, which is actually a trilogy of three movies. There is a lot that happens in the course of those three movies. Friendships are made. Battles are fought. Love blossoms. Evil attacks. There are personal struggles. There are national struggles. There's action and intrigue and suspense and mystery. I mean, if you've ever seen those movies, there is a lot going on from the beginning to the end of those movies. But at the heart of it all is the mission. And in the Lord of the Rings, the mission is take the ring of power to Mordor and cast it into the fire at Mount Doom so it can be destroyed. Everything else that happens in those movies makes no sense if you don't understand that. If you don't get the mission, then nothing else you watch in the movie makes sense. All that's going on revolves around understanding that mission. Well, the Gospel of Mark is similar. There's a lot going on in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus speaks powerful words. He performs powerful works. He faces conflict on one hand and controversy on the other. He is adored by some. He is despised by others. There's action and intrigue and suspense and mystery. But at the heart of all of it is the mission. Jesus came with the full support of heaven to establish the kingdom of God. Everything else that happens in Mark's gospel makes no sense if you don't understand that. 
If you don't get clarity about the mission, you will not be able to understand all of the events and teachings and words in the Gospel of Mark. In the verses we look at tonight, we see Jesus step onto the public stage for the first time. This is the beginning of his public ministry. Now, in recording these early days of Jesus' ministry, Mark shows us, for one, he shows us what the focus of Jesus' ministry is going to be. And he also shows us the response that Jesus' ministry calls for from the people. Now, but why does all of that matter to you and I? There is nothing more fundamental to being a disciple of Jesus than understanding the Lord's mission and what response that calls for from us. I want to say that again. There is nothing more fundamental to being a disciple than understanding the Lord's mission and what response that calls for from you and I. That's, that's the heart of being a disciple. Why did he come? What does that mean for us? Answering those questions will help us make sense of everything else that happens in the book of Mark. But if we don't get this right, we'll misinterpret everything else. Why did he come? How do we respond to that? I'm going to answer these questions tonight by making three observations about Jesus' ministry from these verses. Here's the first observation I want to make. Jesus' ministry has the full support of heaven. From verses 9 through 13, we have two accounts. We have the baptism of Jesus and we have the temptation of Jesus by the devil. Mark tells these events in, I mean, extreme brevity. He gives us almost no details about the events. He simply says that they happened. And the reason he does that, his concern is not to give us the specifics of these events. What he wants to do is to show us that as Jesus stepped on the public stage, as he began his earthly ministry, he did so with the full support of heaven. First notice this, Jesus has the full support of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, Jesus was baptized, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. The Spirit like a dove descends upon Jesus. That means the Spirit of God comes to him. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus did not have the Spirit of God before this moment. Remember, Jesus is and has always been God. What this does mean is in that moment, as Jesus prepares to set out on his earthly ministry, he is given a special measure of divine power for the mission that lay ahead of him. 
a special anointing from God for the service that he has been given to perform. We see the same thing happen in the Old Testament to King David. You remember God rejected King Saul and God chose David to be king in his place. He sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king. When David was chosen among all of the brothers, 1 Samuel 16, 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Why? Anointing David, giving him a special measure of spiritual power for his task that lie ahead. That's what's happening to Jesus here. The Spirit of God is giving his power to the Son of God for the ministry that lie ahead. Jesus has the full support of the Spirit. Second, you see Jesus has the full support of the Father. Notice verse 11 of Mark 1. A voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Now this is a confirmation, first of all, that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And secondly, it's confirmation that He is doing exactly what the Father has designed for Him to do. He is doing exactly what the Father wishes. You are my Son, in you I am well pleased. This is what Jesus said in John 8, 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Here the Father is confirming His Son and saying, as you step out into the world to do what I sent you to do, I want you to know that you are absolutely pleasing to me in every way. You are my beloved son. He has the full support of his father. But notice this, Jesus has the full support of heaven's angels. In verses 12 and 13, we see Jesus. The Spirit sends him into the wilderness, which for you and I be the desert, to be tempted by Satan. And I want you to know what it says. He's in the desert, tempted by Satan, with the wild beasts. The, the, the idea for us to get is this is a hostile environment. There's physical danger from wild beasts. There is spiritual danger as the, the enemy himself, Satan himself, has targeted Jesus in a hostile environment facing physical threats and spiritual threats. And notice what it says at the end of verse 13. And the angels were ministering to him. What does that mean? That means they were attending to his wants and needs. They were attending to him as he faced these spiritual enemies, physical enemies. Now, I want you to think about something. What Mark wants you and I to see is the impact these events were designed to have on Jesus himself. Notice in verse 10, it says, Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Who is the he? 
He saw the heavens opened. Who is the one that saw it? If you have a New American Standard Bible like I do, you'll notice the He is capitalized. That means the He refers to God, in this case, Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean He's the only one who saw it. We also know John the Baptist saw it. But what Mark wants us to know is that this was designed for Jesus to see it. Right? This was a visible act so that Jesus would see that the Spirit of God was giving him his full support. Also notice in verse 13, a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Who was that voice speaking to? Jesus. Were there others who heard it? Maybe, possibly, probably. But the point is, the voice was designed for Jesus. Why? Because the Father wants the Son to know, as you set out on your mission, you have my full support. So the Spirit confirms His support for Jesus. The Father confirms His support for Jesus. And notice in verse 12 and 13, it was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? Because the Spirit wanted Jesus to know, as you go out into your public ministry, you're going to face threats. You're going into a hostile world, and they want to confirm that Jesus has the very hosts of heaven at His beck and call to support Him as He does the work that He's been given to do. Are you following what I'm saying to you? The Spirit comes upon him in a visible way. The Father speaks to him in an audible way. The angels come upon him to show him as he faces the world, he has heaven's help. Let me give you an illustration. Think about a man who owns a, a, a business. And suppose he wants to open a franchise of that business in another location. He's going to give his son this franchise. He's going to let his son open this franchise. So he sends his son to this new location. He gives him absolute authority over the project. He can hire and fire however he sees fit. The father makes himself available to answer any questions, give any wisdom and direction. He, he provides unlimited resources the son needs. He gives him any financial resources. He offers him all the help and people that he might need to get this thing off the ground. Basically, the father entrusts his son with the whole project and gives him everything he needs to succeed. That's what's happening here. Jesus has been sent by heaven on a divine mission. And what we're seeing is that God has given him all the support of heaven. To carry out this. Whatever he needs. He has absolute authority. He has full support. From heaven to fulfill his mission. Here's the question. What's the mission? Well we'll see that. As we make the second observation. About Jesus ministry. First we notice. Jesus ministry has the full support of heaven. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus ministry signals the coming of God's kingdom. This is Jesus' mission to establish the God's kingdom. Notice verse 14. After John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So here's the picture. John came, as we saw this morning, to prepare the way for Jesus. 
now that Jesus is here, John's mission is fulfilled. So by God's divine providence, John is taken off of the scene. Jesus now begins his public work. And he comes preaching. The time is fulfilled. What time is he talking about? Jesus is referring to the time when God's promise regarding the salvation of His people would be fulfilled. How is that promise going to be fulfilled? Look what it says. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or you could say the kingdom of God has come near. The, the, the term kingdom... The kingdom of God refers to God's kingly rule or His reign, the dominion of God, the sovereignty of God. What Jesus is saying, now don't miss this, what Jesus is saying is that the reign of God is being established now. I have come and God's rule is being established here in the present. You see, you got to understand something. For the Jews in the first century, the kingdom of God referred to an earthly kingdom in which God, through the nation of Israel, would rule over all the world. But that's not what the kingdom of God is in the Gospel of Mark. For Mark, God's kingdom is primarily a spiritual reality that appears in the present as God rules and reigns in and through and over His people. What Jesus is announcing is that reign, that spiritual reign of God over His people begins now. With the coming of the King. You see, God exercises His rule and His reign through Jesus. A scripture we've been looking at a lot the last few weeks. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Unto us a child is born. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. God is saying a king's going to come. He's going to establish the kingdom of God. It's going to be a perfect kingdom. It's going to reign and rule forever through peace and righteousness and justice. What Jesus is saying when He says the kingdom of God is at hand, He says that begins now. This promised king has come and His reign, the reign of this king, begins now. Jesus is the heaven-sent king sent to establish God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is announcing. You need to get this. When Jesus comes on the scene, He's saying, with my coming, the kingdom of God is now initiated. The promise of God to rule and reign over His people and bring them salvation, that promise is now being fulfilled because I am here. Because the King is here. The kingdom has drawn near because the King has drawn near. Now here's the question. Why does this matter to you and me? Well, very simply, 
because the promise of God's kingdom and the promise of salvation are two facets of the same promise. God's promise to, to, to establish His kingdom and God's promise to save us from our sin are not two separate promises. They are two facets of the same promise. Understand this. To be saved is to be a part of the kingdom. You understand? To, to be given access to the kingdom is to be saved from your sin. It's not two separate things. Why does Jesus die on the cross? To give people access to what? The kingdom. Do you know why some gospels call it not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of what? Heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that we could go to heaven. Which is the same thing as saying Jesus died on the cross so that we could have access to the kingdom. It's the same thing. So that we could be under the rule and reign of God's sin and experience salvation and, and, and all that goes along with that. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom. To be saved is to be a citizen of God's kingdom. It means to be have a place in his kingdom. Jesus came to establish the kingdom. To give people access to the kingdom. Are you with me? He's coming to say. Now is the time. The salvation of God's people. Through God's kingdom. That begins now. With who I am. And what I came to do. That's the mission of Jesus. That's why this matters for you and I. Jesus has come to establish not only His reign as King, but to provide access for you and I into the kingdom. So here's where we are. Jesus has come with the full support of heaven to establish God's kingdom. Now, let's talk about this. How do disciples of Jesus respond to that reality. If that's the mission, Jesus came with the full support of heaven to establish God's kingdom. If that's the mission, how do we respond to the mission? Here's the third thing I want to show you about Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry calls for faith and repentance. Our response to the mission of Jesus is faith and repentance. Verse 15, Jesus preaching says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. The good news. Believe the good news. What good news? Believe the good news of the kingdom. That God's promise to reign over His people and give them a glorious future. Salvation from sin and life in new heaven and new earth. He says, he says, believe that promise is now being fulfilled in me. Through me. By me. The promise of the kingdom is being fulfilled with the coming of the king. He's saying your response to my preaching is to Believe this. It's a call to believe 
that Jesus is the promised one sent by God to establish His reign over His people. The kingdom of God is now. It's drawn near. It's here. With me, it's come. Believe that. And this word believe, believe the gospel. In Greek, it's a present tense imperative verb. What that means for everybody that ain't normal. I'm a, a Greek geek, but for... For you and I, what the significance of that is, it means this is a command that you're to continuously be doing all the time. He's commanding you to believe and keep on believing. In other words, it's not something you do once. It's you continue exercising belief. Keep believing. You believe what I'm telling you, Jesus says, and you keep believing it. Believe that Jesus is the one who's come to establish the kingdom of God, that He is the King who's come to give us access into the kingdom. That's how we respond to the ministry of Jesus with faith. We believe and keep on believing. Notice also, we are to repent. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I said this morning, and I'll say it again tonight, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. It's a change in your thinking that causes you to make a change in the way you live. To submit to Jesus as King requires you to turn away from your sin and pursue Jesus. This is what John the Baptist told the people to do in preparation for Jesus' coming. And if you want to understand what repentance looks like, when John was preaching, John the Baptist, when he was preaching in Luke chapter 3, he gives very clear picture of what repentance looks like. Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. The crowds were questioning him, him being John the Baptist. What shall we do? In other words, John had been preaching to them to repent, and so they're asking him, okay, what does that mean practically? What are we supposed to do? This is what he said. The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. He who has food is to do likewise. Some tax collectors also came to be baptized. They said unto him, Teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely. Be content with your wages. It's real practical. So what is he saying? What is repentance? Stop doing what is bad and start doing what is good. That's repentance. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Jesus is saying, I have come, sent with the full support of heaven to fulfill God's promise to bring salvation in a kingdom to His people for His glory and their glorious future. Now, your response to that is to believe and repent. And this word repent is also a present imperative. That means this is also a command from Jesus, not a suggestion. Repent. 
if you want to, if you feel like. No, it's a command. The Son of God is commanding you to repent, and it's a command, repent and continue repenting. Keep on repenting. Always be repenting. That's the response Jesus calls for. So Jesus has come with the full support of heaven to establish God's kingdom. To have a place in that kingdom, you submit to and follow Jesus. Practically what that looks like is you exercise faith and repentance. Dallas Willard is a great Christian author. And he talks about being a child growing up in southern Missouri in a rural area where there was no electricity. He said the only electricity we had was the form of lightning. And he, he says uh, the senior year of his, high, of his high school, the Rural Electrification Administration extended power lines to where he lived. And electrical power became available to the farms and households for the first time. And this is what he said. I want to read it to you. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Many fundamental aspects of life could be vastly changed for the better, but we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. And this is what he says. You may think the comparison rather crude, and in some respects it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven. If we pause to reflect on those farmers who in effect heard this message, repent for electricity is at hand. Repent or turn from your kerosene lanterns and lamps, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines, your radio with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there near them. But, before they could use it, they would have to make some changes. They would have to trust this new system of electricity and they would have to change the way they did things. Stop doing things the old way and start doing some things differently. You know, strangely, there were some people who wouldn't accept this electricity. Some didn't want to change. Others just thought it wasn't worth the price. But the point is this. Jesus has come to offer the kingdom. But you have to respond to that offer with faith and repentance. You have to trust him and what he offers, and who he is, and you have to be willing to change some things. Look, it's really critical that we understand this, because I don't think we've been taught this as well as we should. For the disciple of Jesus, faith and repentance are not a one-time thing. Faith and repentance are not a one-time thing for the disciple of Jesus. It is, listen, it is a way of life. Faith and repentance is not just the way into the kingdom. It is the way life is lived in the kingdom. We live 
by faith and repentance. You know what faith and repentance translate into practically? Hearing the Word of God, believing it, and obeying it. What is faith? It's when you hear the Word of God and you embrace what it says as true. What is repentance? It's taking the steps to change, to get yourself in line with what God's Word says. In other words, it's obeying it. Faith and repentance is hearing, believing, and obeying the Word of God. That's all it is. Do you know that's just how the Christian life is lived? Hearing the Word of God and obeying it? Making whatever changes are necessary to bring our life in line with the Word of God? That's how we live the Christian life. Listen, how do disciples respond to who Jesus is and what He came to do? We respond by living a life of faith and repentance. We continuously listen to the voice of God, believe it, and turn from our sin to obey it. Daily we practice confession and repentance before God. Daily we turn to Him in faith, trusting Him with our needs, with our tasks, with our problems, with our questions. We exercise faith in Him continuously. We turn from sin toward obedience continuously. This is the life of a disciple. That's why Jesus says, believe and keep believing. Repent and keep repenting. Because it's not just something you do to get in the kingdom. It's the way you live life in the kingdom. I want to put all this together for us. What Jesus does and says during his time on earth all comes back to this. He was sent by heaven to establish God's kingdom. Our response to what Jesus does and says boils down to this, faith and repentance. Here's the message right here. Because Jesus came, with the full support of heaven to establish God's kingdom, disciples exercise faith and repentance. In other words, we believe that Jesus came with the full support of heaven to establish the kingdom. That's faith. And because we believe that, we turn from our sin and adjust our lives to be in line with what Jesus commands. The life of a disciple. Listen, the life of a disciple is a life of faith and repentance in response to the reality that Jesus is King sent by God to provide access for us into His kingdom. The life of a disciple is a life of faith and repentance, ongoing, continual faith and repentance in response to the reality that Jesus is King and in Him we have access to God's kingdom. Let's pray.